You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Yo, 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 good morning, church. What's happening? Thank you, baby girl. That's my queen right there. I, uh, I left the water on purpose to see if she'd bring it to me. So, hey, we husband, we can be manipulative too. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think after saying that, I probably need to leave right now. But in any case, um, so great to see everybody. Um, you know, from the, from the get-go, I, I would like for us to actually hear a bit of a song, uh, and then we'll go ahead and continue from then on. So if we can go and play the song, that'd be great. Je vais vous dire la vérité. On arrive à Paris. Oh. Premier jour à Paris. Oh. On arrive à Paris. Oh. J'étais dans l'avion. Tout d'un coup, j'ai eu la vie de fumer. J'ai regardé autour de moi. Tout est écrit no smoking. Si tu comprends pas anglais, ça veut dire qu'il faut pas fumer ici. Là. On arrive à Paris. Oh. Premier jour à Paris. Oh. car today, some of my brothers and sisters started making me feel guilty. Why didn't you wear your African clothes? And I felt bad, so you were, you know, it worked. But combined with my African accent, I figured this song would kind of lead you back to my country. But actually, this song is quite telling. This is a song that sounds festive. The music is festive. Uh, you know, when you go to church in uh, my country, uh, and, you know, you, you, you go to party, you go to celebrate the Lord. There is no sitting down in your chair. Everybody is up. Everybody's out the aisles. Everybody comes on stage and does a little round dance until everything is over. Because we love Jesus, amen? amen. But what happens is, in this song... As festive as it sounds, the undertone is actually quite interesting, even sad in a way. This is a gentleman who is talking about the fact that uh, his first time ever boarding an airplane, he doesn't know anything. And he gets on the plane, and someone has already told him that when you get on the plane, if you want something to drink, push a button on top of your head, and you'll get something. He gets up there, he sits down, immediately he gets thirsty, pushes a button, and opens his mouth for the drinks to come out. <laughs> and then he's asking for ice, and the ice is supposed to come out too. And, but then he says uh, that, he, you know, he's a smoker. And of course, you know, entering the plane, he's told, yo, you can't smoke on the plane. But he's already smoked a little bit before entering the plane. So, you know, he's going to Paris. He's going to France. And so he doesn't smoke for the whole six-hour flight. He says that when the, the plane lands in Paris, he gets out, and he wonders, well, wait a minute. 
Um, I smoked about six hours ago. How come it's just now that the smoke comes out of my mouth? Because actually, it's not smoke that comes out. It's the cold air from friends as he's talking. But here's what's telling the most. Here's where it gets a little bit serious. He says, you know what? For those of us who are from African countries, it doesn't matter if you've been to Europe or what we call the Western world for a year, five years, 25 years. Every day represents a brand new day. Every day is a fine day. There's two things about that. First of all, it shows you what kind of life we can live in Africa, unfortunately. But it also shows you how much we depend on the Europeans. What the story has been written like. How we cannot have a good life in Africa. We have to go to Europe. We have to come to the US in order to benefit from fine life. He was being both real and sarcastic. There is indeed fine life to be lived in Africa. Everybody been in Africa here before? Yeah. All right, all right. Kind of condensed around here. Yeah, you know, there you go, there you go. Africa is awesome. It's beautiful. And by saying Africa, I'm being calculated. It's not a country, it's a continent. I say Africa on purpose. First, because I know a lot of us here think that it's a country, so I want to make it easy for you. But also because I want to tell you that in general, African countries are amazing countries to live in. I was born and raised myself in one of those. The Ivory Coast is in West Africa, and it attained its independence from the French in 1960. Relatively young country. We are home to more than 125 ethnic languages. Yet our number one language is what? French. Why? Because we were colonized thoroughly by the French. To the point where even our breakfast is hot chocolate and bread. Like, you know, the last time I came here, I did a little sum-sum on food that we can have for breakfast with Jesus. And I showed you some of the stuff that we have for breakfast in the villages. It's not hot chocolate. And it's not baguettes. But if you go to the big cities, if you go to Abidjan, where I was born and raised, that's what we have for breakfast. The independence that we have on this guy, the dependence, rather. As much as we are politically independent, we really are not. So that's the story that's been written. Title of our lesson this morning, Jesus the Human, Christ the Humble. You know, a quick little story on humility, but maybe 20 years ago, I met a man who um, became a good friend. Of course, over the years, we've sort of kind of lost touch. It just happens, you know. But in my heart, he's always remained. And this man sang and, you know, wrote songs and rapped, talented. And he wrote a song called No Name that I never forgot about. And, you know, he did a little bit of a sort of kind of podcast interview. This is 20 years ago, a podcast, 20 years ago. That's how advanced these people were already. And, you know, he explains the whole no-name thing. And he said, Yo, you know, I gave my song no name because I want us to know the name of God. So no name, know God's name. I want us to know him. But then he, 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 he furthers that and says, but, you know, there's another avenue to this no name. You can, you can write the no name with the N-O. Because basically, whoever wrote this song, I don't want him to be recognized. It's not about me. My name matters little. We're talking about Christ the humble. That's humility personified. My brother Zoe, you're the man, brother. Zoe wrote that song back then, a few years ago. I will never forget it. Changed my life. Jesus the human, Christ the humble. Let's go to this scripture right here, uh, which I want to make sure that I actually have because I can't see the, the, um, me, uh, can you see the, yeah, there you go, Philippians 2, 8. 
Yeah, there you go. Let's go to Philippians 2, 8. Our Lord is a, is a Lord of glory. Amen. A Lord of fine divinity. He's the Lord who knows everything. He's the Lord that you and I happen to serve on a daily basis. Philippians 2, verse 8. Scripture tells us, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death to the cross. What a way to introduce this whole sermon. The very humanity of Christ himself. Our Lord, yes, was 100% human. As much as he is and will be forever, 100% God. He was not Perseus. He was not a demi-god. He didn't have a little bit of Zeus and a little bit of whoever else. He had the whole you and I. And yet he had the whole God. The whole Holy Spirit. That's the God that we serve today. Jesus, the humble. Let's go to our scripture of the day. John chapter 11. And we're going to read that whole segment. Sounds long, but it's not. It's not when you really enjoy it. Besides, I've been given about two hours, so i got a lot of time. <laughs> hey, you know, once you're up here, it don't matter what direction you've been given. You do whatever you want. <laughs> I'll deal with the discipling later. <laughs> yeah. I knew Steve was going to say something, so I'm going to go ahead and... <laughs> Amen. 1 to 37. <clears throat> As I read the scripture, I really want us to really pay attention to the words. Again, I translated that song because I wanted you guys to both hear the, the music associated to the lyrics, but to kind of hear what he was meaning as well. The sort of paradox that can exist between festive music and sad lyrics. Isn't that Jesus sometimes? Festivity, sadness. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Of course, we know these two ladies. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus Lord, the one you love is sick. Ironically speaking, this is written by the Apostle John, who called himself the one whom Jesus loved. Yet, of course, he recognizes the fact that Jesus called Lazarus the one whom I loved as well. You know, the whole point here is that, you know, you are loved by Jesus individually. The one who Jesus loved is you. Look at yourself. You are the one who Jesus loves. Let me tell you how he loves us. When he heard this, Jesus, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait a minute, you hear that Lazarus is sick and you stay two more days. Huh. But he just said, yo, this is, not, this is not for me. This is for the glory of God. I, I know he's not going to die. See, Christ knew what he was doing. This is amazing. Let us go back to Judea. Verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews uh, uh, there tried to stone you. Uh, and yet, you're going back? Jesus answered, are, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. 
It is when a person walks on, at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went, to, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They never get it, do they? <laughs> I'm way smarter than they are, so I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, Father. Jesus said in verse 13, well, in verse 13, Jesus had been speaking to, uh, of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, of course. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Just going to be in this moment like, you know, oh, Lazarus is asleep, he'll be all right. Okay, well, we, you know, we, 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 you know, all right, you know he'll, he'll wake up then. Gosh, Lazarus is dead, guys. Never get it. Lazarus is dead. That's amazing. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known Didymus, as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. This is the same Thomas who, you know, is accused of being so faithless. See, let's not kind of judge people so quickly. We always think about him as the faithless one. He was ready to die with Jesus here. Amen. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had, not been, if you had been here, my brother would, would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. We always say that Peter only said that. No, she said that too. Do we say that boldly to your buddies? You go to work, you go to school. Not just the whole come to church with me. No, do we say that? He is the one. He is the Messiah. Come with me and you'll find out for yourself. That boldness. Verse 28, after she had said this, she, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house uh, comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn, to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. In the Greek form, deeply saddened. He was deeply moved. In spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
And we're not going to camp on every single word of this scripture. But it's good many times to read the Bible in its entirety. Especially for the sake of context, culturally so, historically so. We are called to read the scriptures as correctly as possible. Those are people, those people like myself, who are evangelists, who are called to convey his word. People like Rhett, your leaders. People like Steve. People like our elder Angie and others. We're called to convey the word of God as correctly as possible. Not just because of our own interpretations. Yes, that's, that's good. That's part of this walk with God that we keep on building. But so that the word of God can remain just that. His word. And nothing else. And for context purposes, it's good to read this whole section. Amen? Because we see the humanity of Jesus in this scripture. We see the, the humanity of Christ in this scripture. We see how he approaches the people, how he talks to the disciples. How he tells them it's going to be all right. Yo, he laid asleep here. It's going to be all right. How he uses analogy. You know, he was a master at using analogies. I love using analogies. I got so many African stories, I'm not going to tell them today. I tell you. You know, my father, unfortunately now, you know, he's, he's pretty sick and can barely even talk and everything because he suffered a stroke. But my father, before suffering a stroke, was an elder in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was sort of kind of considered sometimes, quote, unquote, a chief elder, not because he was better than everybody else, but because he had an ability to use African storytelling to calm things down when things got fu funny. Christ used storytelling. I just used a story about my brother Zoe from a long time ago. What story do you have to use when you talk to your brother, when you talk to your sister, when you talk to those in the community? We just read this. We are going to go to our uh, first point here, Jesus the human. We just read the whole thing. Let's kind of sort of get here to verse 33. 33 to 37. Jesus the human. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, in his very humanity, was able to convey his love for Lazarus, his love for the whole community. You know, in the, in, in, in the scholar world, those of us who are kind of working on this stuff, I'm, I'm working on the master's here in theological studies by the grace of God, and I'm graduating in April. Please pray for that. I'm excited. I'm looking to, uh, I'm looking to pursue a doctorate probably about 20 years from now. No, actually, pretty, pretty, pretty soon after that. And we, we always have this conversation, why did he weep? It makes zero sense. He knew he was going to heal him. I'm not saying that because I believe in Jesus and I'm a man of faith. I'm saying that because it's logically written. He knew he was going to heal the guy. He was going to bring him back to life. And he knew why. To glorify the name of God. He had all the answers, yet he wept. Could it be because they just were having a hard time believing him? And instead of judging them, he was relating to them. I mean, some of them said at the end there, uh, why, why, why couldn't he do his thing? I mean, he's Jesus. 
But see that, the first thing I want to say, you know, I read verse 37. But some of them say, could not he open the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I quickly want to criticize these people. Oh, they're just, they're so just critical. Always trying to just be divisive. Christ was able to relate to them. It is understandable to go through these emotions, to be sad, to question your faith in God through difficult times. It's hard, brothers and sisters. And he understood that. Perhaps he cried because of that. Something a little bit more common is that he may have wept because he, he felt the pain that Mary and Martha were feeling. Do you feel your brothers and sisters' pain? Desmond Tutu, great South African leader, was an archbishop who fought for the civil rights of Africans, not just in South Africa, but around the continent. And this is what he said a good while ago. When the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible, and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We close our eyes. When we open them, we had the Bible. And they had the land. Does that mean that the Bible is not real? It just means that we can certainly use the Bible to do some pretty bad things. When it came to my country... The Ivory Coast did not exist. Ghana did not exist. Burkina Faso did not exist. Nigeria was not existent. We were indeed different regions with kings and queens. But we were much bigger, much more unified. And they came. They explored the land. They saw the beauties that we have, the, the resources, the oils, the, the minerals. They wanted it. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But can you ask? I mean, all you got to do is just ask me. We can work something out. No. But you know what else I did not do? What's usually shown to us? They didn't go in there and force themselves in. They didn't go in there and use their weapons to kill all of us so that they can. They couldn't have done that. They were outnumbered by a lot. So they used the single most powerful piece of literature ever written in the history of Bibliotheca to convince my ancestors. That according to the scriptures, if we did not bow down to our knees to them, we were wrong. That we were not submitting. And because we found the scriptures indeed fascinating, we chose many times to do bow. Today in America, there's, there's truth. There is indeed white supremacists. There's all kinds of stuff going on out there. I used to live in Florida. I did the ministry there. Every weekend, you would drive to a certain area. This is an open area. And you have people protesting for white supremacists. And they, they're wearing Ku Klux Klan stuff. And they had the, you know, you're just driving, you're just driving by. Some, some, some are honking, no more people. Ba, ba, ba. Do we have freedom of speech? Yes. But my question to all of us is, when someone who perhaps may be of color goes to you who may be Caucasian and tells you about the sufferings that he or she is going through, do you feel like Jesus? 
instead of judging right away, oh, now everybody's racist. Do you decide, I'm going to be like Jesus and, and cry with them and relate to them? You see, do we decide to be humans with one another? It's okay to recognize our mistakes. It's okay to recognize someone who is suffering. You know, I do have a question for, and this is especially for my African-American brothers and sisters. If someone says, oh, not everybody is racist, I'm not a racist, do we start tripping? And there you go again. When you say that, that means that you are. Or do we try to understand where they're coming from? And we, we can be quick to judge and to jump. The Bible said Christ related to these people. He wept, knowing that he was going to fix everything. He's going to fix this. Whether here or out there. He knows it. He's got this. Yet he wants you and I to relate to one another. Because he relates to you and I. Jesus was so human that he could feel these emotions. And I took this class on deities and I just realized, you know, all these guys that's Males and supposed to be strong, they can't, they can't cry, they can't be weak. Our God has the ability to relate to all, all avenues, all genders. And that's the question for us today. Are we like Jesus who was able to weep because he he felt these people, them as human, but him as a human as well. He was able to tap to that. He was in touch with his emotions. That's the power of our God. He can weep. He can be sad. Are we able to do that with one another in these discussions? Are we able to even have discussions at this point? I live in the South now, and it's not easy. And unfortunately, it's because of political reasons. It's not even because of racial reasons. Can't even talk about stuff. We can't understand each other. We can't even put sometimes our differences to make them into one piece of victory. Can't even do that. Lazarus was a name that was Latinized, meaning that it was made into Latin as Lazar. And Lazar was the original name. And in order for it to become a Latin name, they, add, they added a U.S. in the end there. Lazar comes from a Hebrew word called Eliezer. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Eliezer means God hoped. God hoped. Do you see why Jesus knew that things were going to be all right? He wasn't just savvy with his emotions, but he was just like me, linguistically savvy. Hey, I told Red, I have a bachelor's in linguistics. I, you know, we can... But in all seriousness, Jesus knew there was hope here. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, I know that there is hope here. I did not wear my African clothes, but I could not be more African. Everybody who knows me knows. Meanwhile, having been living in the U.S. since 1996, came here at age 18, I could not be more American. I mean, I'm your typical real African-American. You know what I mean? Like... And I embrace both. I love both. Both are amazing. I go home as much as I can. I've taken my wife there a couple of times. Still, I've not taken the kids. Don't judge me. We're working on that. <laughs> Why can we be like Jesus?
Well, I believe we can, brothers and sisters. The colonials did this to us. Doesn't mean that it can't be reversed. Point two, Christ the humble. Similarly, we're going to read here, verse 34 and 36 to 36. You see how we're camping in the same scripture. You can use the word. You can use a certain segment of the Bible and really make it into a month-long study. That's the richness of our Bible, amen? Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Jesus replied. Bible says here in verse 35, Jesus wept. What is Jesus wept known for? The shortness scripture in the Bible. It's not known as the most powerful scripture in the Bible, is it? Jesus wept. You know what's amazing about our Lord Jesus? Most of his conversations were driven in the spirit of asking questions. You look at his interactions with the Samaritan woman. You look at his interactions with the bleeding woman. You look at his interactions with so, so many of these guys. He asked questions. He made sure to ask as many questions as possible, to gather as much information as possible so the point could be made across. In his humility, Jesus, knowing where he was, already asked, where have you laid him? He knows everything. And in our humility, I want to call us, brothers and sisters, I want to call myself to ask more questions. It's okay to ask your, your African-American brothers and sisters, your Latino brothers and sisters, the questions that they want to, the Asians, ask them questions. We got to ask you questions. Instead of making assumptions, Christ could already start walking. I'm going to go to the, to the tomb over there. No. You want to know why? Because it was disrespectful for someone who had come right to the funeral to start going to the funerary place. So he had to ask, what kind of respect do we address each other with? Jesus wept. He wept because going, walking to someone's tomb, he understood, was hurtful. He knew that by asking this question, it was going to bring back all these emotions that they had been feeling all this time. Well, you want to go back to that? We told you he's dead. Why do you want to go back to him? He could have been, because I'm going to heal him, just take me back. No, the Bible says he wept. He cried. He understood where they were coming from. Brothers and sisters who are of color, they want to they wanna engage us. Yes, they. Whites, Caucasian brothers and sisters, they want to engage us. Not just in God. Not just in church. Not just talking about our spiritual struggles. No, they want to ask you about your race. We got to open that door. It's not easy for them. Now you notice that I was talking to them earlier and I say you. And now I'm talking to us and I say they. Because that's real language. It starts with that first. Before we can talk about we, let's talk about the them and the us, or the us and the them. That's real. It's not divisive. It's reality. It's the world we live in. And Christ made them feel that he was not one of them. They even told him, you could have been here a long time ago. You would have been able to heal him. You ain't one of us. That's the undertone that I can take. And so Christ understood their feelings. And he was humble enough to not judge them. He was humble enough to put himself down low and to feel them. 
Christ, the humble. Great theologian who uh, was a British, uh, I mean, uh, who was a Jewish rabbi, Abraham Herschel, said, in any free society where terrible wrongs exist, some are guilty. All are responsible. There's reality going on in our country. Stemming from slavery all the way to now. Some may agree, some may not agree. Perfectly fine. I got the pulpit. There is what you call systemic racism. It's real out there. It's hard for a black brother to get a job. Doesn't matter what type of field. It's real. There is what you call white supremacists. There are more than 1,162 scriptures on the topic of justice in the Bible. Stemming from everything that happened with the, the people of God in Israel, in Egypt. Y'all remember the story of, uh, of Moses' wife? She was Kushite. Today, Kushite is Sudan. They haven't changed much. Black. And of course, Moses' people were making fun of her. For her. And our guy can be pretty ironic. Because in addressing what happened, those who were making fun of her who were of lighter skin, he made them even more light. He gave them the most disgusting of diseases back then, which happened to make your skin whiter. It wasn't to say that white folks are nasty and this and that or whatever. It was to say nobody is better than the other. Me being black does not make me dirtier. It sounds funny, but that is a thought out there that I'm dirty, that I stink. When I first moved from America, you know, over there, I mean, we don't deodorant. You know what I mean? It's not because we stink, it's just not cultural. I mean, it's money and, and I remember, yo, I get in the car sometimes, some of my leaders would drive me to a Rouse or something. And they'd tell me to just wait in the car. I'm like, cool, I'm hanging out with him. And he'd be coming back out with bags full of deodorants and. <laughs> I'm like, you don't even know if me staking is actually attractive to a woman back home. It's cultural. doesn't make me any less. A, 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 a white brother not knowing how to dance is perhaps cultural. I don't know. Why am I making fun of him? I don't know how to dance, and I'm African. My big sister here, Davida, she's known me for about 30 years. I don't think she's ever seen me dance. No. Uh, no, I'm not doing that today. <laughs> See, I'm not, I'm not nailing myself today with that. No. <laughs> Why do I say all that? Yes, some are guilty. We can claim, oh, the whites are guilty. They created slavery, and here we are. All are responsible. I learned something very, just big time. When I was married before, in a previous marriage, the marriage went south. And I will never forget how at the beginning I was so, so angry. I felt like I had given all. I was aware of the fact that I made some mistakes. But to me, I had given my heart. How dare she? Took me years to realize it takes two to tango. 
I start thinking about my mistakes, mistakes that are minimized before. No, those are mistakes that do in marriages today. They mess things up today. And my marriage failed because of that. I stopped focusing on her mistakes. And ever since then, I've been married now 10 years to Juanita. Got two beautiful kids. Because I'm focused on me. That is you, babe. Say, that's us. (laughs) Because I focus on me and my mistakes. Yeah. And this was in Las Vegas, right? Some, somebody's wedding. I don't forget whose wedding it was, but... Because I was focused on mine. Um, thank you. She, uh, she brings that out of me. She here? Oh, she's nice. She didn't hear that? Make sure you tell her that I said that, please. I don't even know where she's at. Trying to score some points up in here. We had been married a year right there. You see, I don't have no gray hair there. So... Yeah, that right there is my, my black African story. My wife is an American, African-American woman from Chicago. No, not yeah, yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> Y'all don't know women from Chicago now. Woo-wee! She's not here. I can say whatever I want, I'm telling you. Oh, Okay. But you know what? I'm the man I am today because of this woman. She has molded me by the grace of God into the man I am today. She's a great women's minister. She's an amazing mother, a great lover, a best friend. And she's black. And she's not an angry black woman. She's sweet. She's understanding. She supports me in all the endeavors. She has my back. She's not an angry black woman. Picture here just is a quick picture of a white master chilling there on the, that thing, I don't know what they call that. Hammock, Hammock, yeah. These guys that are holding the hammock are just kind of there to facilitate his recreational stuff. They're from the Ivory Coast. This is in the Ivory Coast. This is happening on their land. There is a Ivorian from the Ivory Coast, guard right there with guns, Making sure that they're doing this to a white master. Why? Because the scriptures were used to brainwash these guys, making them feel like they have to do this. And if they didn't do it, they deserved the punishment that was coming after because they needed to submit to who was lighter skinned. Let's go to Acts. Here, um, and you know, I know I put Acts uh, one to five. It's actually Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, one to five. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented, uh, he, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not Leave Jerusalem, 
but wait for the gift my father promised, which uh, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Another discussion in the theology world is Theophilus was either a person that he was talking to or the people of God, the church. Because in Greek, that's what Theophilus means. It means God's people, God's loved one. You know, Phyllis, Philo, God's loved one. And I like to believe that he was talking to the church, to the people, 120 or so disciples at that time. And he's telling them, do not leave Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, it's not about leaving the church because things are tough. They don't address racism. I'm going somewhere else. It's about staying, partaking in what's right and awaiting the power of God that's coming. It's too easy to pick up and go. If you don't feel like things are working, what am I doing? What are you doing? Amen? Amen. We're going to end here. Just want to thank you guys. Um, Anybody remember the song, Wade in the Water? Yeah. Wade in the Water today is about baptism. But Wade in the Water was written with a different spirit back then. It was what you call a liberation song. And it was a song that was sang by fellow slaves as loud as they could to someone who was able to escape. It was about going in the river when they reached a river and crossing that river as much as they could. Because by the time they reached the river, the dogs could not, could not stand anymore. The struggle is still real. Many of these people died trying to cross. I want to encourage us. These stories are real. Let's have them together. Black, white, Latinos, Asians, everybody in between. We can. Let's have them here. Let's have them outside in the community. We can. We will. Because God's power is coming. We ain't going nowhere. God's power is coming. To God be the glory. Now is a time of service where uh, we do communion. And um, first, first slide, please. Does anyone recognize this photo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Captain Kirk and Lieutenant Yehura. First interracial kiss. Next slide. That was on major TV. Star Trek, the original series, Plato's Stepchild was the episode, season three, episode 10. It was first broadcast November 22nd, 1968. But I'm not a Trekkie, but I just happen to know that. Okay. Next slide, please. Here's Lieutenant Euro. And um, does anyone know what her job description was on the USS Enterprise. She was the chief communications officer. She was fourth in command of the entire Starship Enterprise. In 1967, she met Dr. King at an NAACP in Beverly Hills. Dr. King shared with her that she was their favorite actor. That they watched Star Trek because of her. And that it was the one show that they allowed their children to stay up past their bedtime so that they could see her. She then shared, well, you know, I'm going to be leaving the show to pursue my my career, my, my dream on Broadway. And Dr. King convinced her, 
not to leave. He said that you are the first black female to play a lead role on major TV and an inspiration and role model, not only for blacks, but for all people. She stayed, and the rest is history. Next slide. Dr. King died on April 4th, 1968. That kiss was November 22nd, 1968. Dr. King never saw that kiss, but his dreams live on forever. You see, we may never see the impact and the good we do in the lives of other people, but that should never stop us from doing the good that God has called us to do. You see, at this moment in history, the vision of the unspiritual viewed such mixing of blacks and whites as wrong, and it was against the law until 1967. But let's, let's examine, let's take a look now at what causes unspiritual vision and behavior in our own lives. Next slide. Who knows what this is? On the left, normal eye. On the right side is a cataract. Cataracts develop very slowly, over, over decades. It distorts your vision. It changes shapes and colors. It distorts your depth perception. It makes things and your acuity very blurred. And it's not until the cataract is literally cut out and a new lens is put in place, a lens without blemish or defect. The clarity that comes with that new lens is simply astounding. It's a miraculous and life-changing event in your life. Next slide, please. Life without God is like having a spiritual cataract. Our life values and our moral compass slowly gets distorted and blurred. Unconsciously, wrongs, wrong things become right, and right things become wrong. Leading to prejudice, anger, hate, greed, selfishness, materialism, hopelessness, depression, lack of compassion, indifference, and immorality. Let's look at a scripture now. Let's pause and look at scripture. Next slide, please. John 4, 7 through 14 reads, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks... From this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give them, I give him, will become a well of water springing up within, within him for eternal life. You see, the woman at the well, her vision had become distorted, foggy, and blurred and blurred. And the living water washed the eyes of her heart. So now she could see God clearly 
and drink from the new well that gives eternal life. Next slide, please. As Christians, we are called to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Communion gives us the spiritual lens that replaces my cataract of sin. That is what communion does for us. That is why we partake of it. As we pray, let us meditate on the transforming vision that communion offers. Let us pray. Dear Father, protect our souls, Father, forgive us for our sins. Lord, we come before you with a broken heart. Father, we know that you sent your son to die for us, to wash away our sins. And Father, please give us the spiritual vision that will remove and replace our cataract of sin. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.